Would you please open your Bibles to John chapter 6. We will read verses 22 through 41. And then the sermon text will be Exodus 16. So New Testament reading, John 6, 22 through 41. Sermon text, Exodus chapter 16. We have quite a bit of scripture reading to do uh, this morning. I, I hope that you appreciate that. It is good to hear God's Word read, isn't it? It's a very important part of what we do on the Lord's Day to simply read uh, the Holy Scriptures and then uh, to expound upon them is my task uh, this morning. Uh, brothers and sisters, before I read John 6, 22-41, can I just exhort you to settle down and to listen intently to the Word of God? Uh, maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. I probably am. Um, but let's settle down on the Lord's Day. Uh, we come and we uh, worship, we sing, we pray. But we come also to hear from God, to hear His most holy word. And I think it is important for us to settle our hearts and to listen intently to the word of God read and proclaimed. And I would even encourage you to settle down the whole of the Lord's day, to make it a holy day, to come to afternoon worship, to, to hear teaching again, to sing and to pray. What's the hurry? What's the rush? What are you off to, brothers and sisters? Why be distracted with other things? Let's truly honor the Lord's day in the heart. And in the mind. Would you hear now the reading of God's most holy word from John 6 22 through to 41? On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea went, see, saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Uh, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him in whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up 
on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Let us go now to Exodus chapter 16. We are to remember that Israel was brought out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. They gave praise to God for this great act of deliverance. They wandered in the wilderness for a time and were thirsty, but were brought to Elam, where they enjoyed refreshment, 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees. They rested there in the shade, and they were refreshed by the waters. And in Exodus 16, we read, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, 
a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name Manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations." As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is a tenth part of an ephah. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. Stories are, are very powerful, aren't they? I hope that you can see that they are. In the scriptures, we find many different genres of literature. There are books of history. There are books of wisdom and poetry. There are books that contain straightforward teaching. And we are to learn from all of these literary styles as they present truth to us, each in their own way. But here in the book of Exodus, we find wonderful narratives or stories. And these stories are very powerful. I've tried to convince you in previous sermons that these stories are not ordinary stories. They are not mere history, nor are they myths or legends. No, these stories are divinely inspired stories. They contain true history, and the historical events that they recount are a part of redemptive history. These stories tell of God's mighty deeds that He worked for the accomplishment of our redemption. They're very powerful stories, for not only do they tell us what happened... In the past, they also reveal the truth about God, His plans, and His purposes. And these stories even teach us about living a life of faith. For these things happened to Old Covenant Israel for our instruction. That is what Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 10 11. These things happened to them for our instruction. And so, brothers and sisters, we must pay careful attention to these stories. So that we might not only learn about what happened in the past, we must also learn about what we are to do in the present. These stories help us to sojourn well as God's people. And the first principle that I wish to draw from our text for today is that Christian sojourners must have, following the Lord, living for His glory and for the advancement of His kingdom as their highest aim. I think that principle comes to the forefront as we consider this wonderful narrative. Christian sojourners must have following the Lord, living for His glory and for the advancement of His kingdom as their highest aim. 
You will notice that Israel enjoyed the refreshment of Elam uh, there, the 12 springs of water and the 70 palm trees for a time. But soon the Lord led them off into the wilderness again. That's what verse 1 tells us. Israel set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So the people of Israel were refreshed for a time at the, at the oasis of Elam, but they were not to remain there, for Elam was not their destination. The Lord's will was for them to move on from that place so that He might sanctify them further in the wilderness, so that He might enter into a covenant with them and lead them onward to the promised land. And I would imagine that some, perhaps many within Israel, were hesitant to leave Elam. You, you might have been hesitant too. You'd already wandered in the wilderness for a time. You knew what it was to, to thirst there in that, that desolate place, that barren place. And Elam was a place of comfort. Elam was a place of safety, a place of security. I'm sure that many were hesitant to leave Elam. They knew that they were surrounded by a wilderness that was vast, that was desolate, that was harsh. And I'm sure that they did not want to leave, but wanted to remain there by the waters and by the shade of the palm trees. But notice this, Israel was not redeemed from Egyptian bondage to pursue a life of comfort, a life of safety. No, they were redeemed from Egyptian bondage to follow the Lord wherever He led. And the same is true for you and me, brothers and sisters. Our highest aim must be to live for God for the glory of His name, and for the furtherance of His kingdom here on earth. We cannot allow our natural desire for comfort and for safety to be the driving force of our lives. No, instead we must live for, for higher purposes. We must be willing to leave the comfort of the springs and shade of Elam, if it is the will of the Lord, to lead us into the wilderness again, following Him, living for His glory and for the advancement of his kingdom must be the thing that drives us. I wonder, have you noticed that the Christian life does have a rhythm to it? Have you made this observation? God in His mercy and grace does bless His people with times of refreshment and ease. But He does also lead us through times of testing. There is this, this rhythm to the Christian life. I've experienced this rhythm personally. I've experienced it in the family. I've also experienced it in the church. If you've been observant, you've noticed this, that the Lord will bless us with times of refreshment, with times of ease. And then the Lord will also lead us off into times of difficulty again, times of, of testing in the wilderness, if you will. And it seems to me that the Lord knows just what we need at any given moment. We are tested by the trials and tribulations of life. And it is during those times of testing that God's people grow. But the Lord knows our limitations. In His mercy, at just the right time, He leads us to the springs of Elam to be refreshed there by the waters and by the shade. And then in His mercy, He leads us into the wilderness again to move us onward toward the promised land. There is this kind of rhythm to the Christian life. God knows what we need. God knows what we can handle. And in His mercy, He does guide us and direct us through each season. I ask you, brothers and sisters, are you ready for that journey? Are you prepared to follow the Lord 
wherever he leads in this life? Are you ready to experience the rhythm of refreshment and testing through trial as we sojourn towards the promised land? You know, I think one of the most important things for us to have on this journey is proper expectations and proper desires. If our expectations and desires are set on comfort and on safety, then we will not sojourn well. If our expectations and our desires are set on comfort and safety, it will be very difficult for us to leave Elam to journey in the wilderness again. And while in the wilderness, we will likely grumble and complain against the Lord. But if we have following the Lord, living for His glory, the advancement of His kingdom as our highest aim, and if we properly expect to experience times of difficulty and times of refreshment in the Lord, then we will likely sojourn well, for our hearts will be fixed, not on the transient things of this earth, but on things of lasting worth. Brothers and sisters, I think having this proper expectation and proper desires is key to the Christian sojourn. We must not live for comfort and safety, for the things of this world, for for the pleasantries of life. We, We must live, we must have as our highest aim following the Lord, His glory, the advancement of His kingdom. The second principle that I wish to draw from our passage today is this. Christian sojourners must pursue contentment as they trust the Lord for their daily bread. As we will soon see, Old Covenant Israel was called to do this in a very literal way. Uh, They were to trust the Lord in the wilderness for daily bread. And this was very literal for them. But the principle certainly applies to us as well. Christian sojourners must pursue contentment as they trust the Lord for their daily bread. In verse 2 we read, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Grumbling or, or complaining was a major problem in Old Covenant Israel. You would think they would have been filled with gratitude given what the Lord did for them to rescue them from oppression in Egypt. But no, instead, we see that they grumbled and complained continuously. The Lord leads them out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea on into the wilderness, and they are immediately found grumbling and complaining against the Lord. I pointed this out last Sunday in the sermon that the theme of grumbling ties the three stories of Exodus 15.22 through 17.7 together. We have three consecutive stories presented to us uh, that follow uh, the the passing through of, of the waters of the Red Sea. And each of these stories has this theme, Israel grumbled, they grumbled, they grumbled. One almost gets the impression that the Lord wishes to warn his people against this great sin. It's a very strong message that is being sent to us in these narratives. Beware of grumbling, brothers and sisters. Beware of complaining against the Lord. And and no, it is not an overstatement to say that the sin of grumbling is a great sin. When a person grumbles and complains, they reveal that their hearts are filled with ingratitude and discontentment even to the point of overflowing. Grumbling, complaining, is in fact a great sin against God. 
And no, I am not saying that we are never allowed to talk about our troubles, our heartaches, and our disappointments with others. Are you following me here? I, I am not saying that the scriptures forbid us from talking with others about our troubles, heartaches, and disappointments. That is, that is not grumbling, at least not necessarily. Sometimes we need to talk with others about the difficulties of life. That is good and that is fine. Um, but there is a fine line between talking about your troubles and your disappointments with others and grumbling and complaining against the Lord. Uh, grumbling emanates from a discontent, an ungrateful heart. And so I ask you, friends, are you a grumbler? Are you a complainer? You may need to pause and reflect upon that question later today. Are you a grumbler before God? Is your heart filled with discontentment and ingratitude before Him? Notice that Israel did not grumble directly to God, but to Moses and Aaron. And this is usually how it goes. We grumble and we complain to others. Or perhaps we grumble and complain against our leaders. But really, our complaint is against God. Moses sets this straight with Israel in verse 8 where he says, The Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And so Moses clarifies to Israel, Listen, as you complain and as you grumble to us, really, you were doing this to God. You were living in His world. You were enjoying His provision. And you were complaining continuously. Who are we that you complain against us? Your complaint is really against God. And that is true for you and I as well. When we grumble and complain about our circumstances to others, the Lord hears it, and He knows that the complaint is really against Him. I say it is a great sin to live in God's world, to enjoy the blessings that He graciously provides, and to complain against Him. This is true for all men, and it is even worse for the redeemed of God to grumble and complain, for we ought to see that in Christ we have our every need met. In, in Christ we ought to have the most gratitude towards God. But when the people of God are found grumbling and complaining against Him, it truly is a vile thing. So why did Israel grumble? Look at verse 3. They complained that they had no food, saying, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This little statement here from Israel is, is so, so telling. Notice two things about it. One, notice that Israel exaggerated the goodness of the past. Do you see it here in this remark? They exaggerated uh, the goodness of the past. They, they, they reminisced about the good old days as they reflected about life as slaves in Egypt. They said, and this is my, my summary of, of their words, do you remember how wonderful things used to be when Pharaoh would roll out the all-you-can-eat buffet for us, you know? We sat by the meat pots and ate to the full. We had plenty of bread. The good old days. Oh, we long for the, the good old days. I say, give me a break. A Pharaoh was nowhere near this generous to them. And whatever he did feed them, he fed them so that he might work them to the point of exhaustion and even death. But this is what ingrates do. They look to the past, or they look to others living afar off, and they say, do you remember when, or if only? And they fail to count their blessings in the moment. Two, 
notice that Israel exaggerated the direness of the current situation. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. That, that's what they said. Really? It would have been better for us to have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. It seems a bit overblown, wouldn't you agree with me? <laughs> Here Israel is alive in the wilderness. Here Israel has their needs met. Here Israel is being led by the Lord, and yet they would rather to have died in the land of Egypt? They are saying that things were so bad in the moment, it would have been better for them to have perished. It's a little bit dramatic, I think. And you know, it's interesting that in the next episode, Israel grumbles again against the Lord because they have no water. I want you to listen carefully now to 17.3. I think it sheds some light on what was really going on here in this episode that we're considering today. 17.3, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I wonder if you caught that. The Hebrews still had livestock. They had flocks. Now they're concerned about their flocks perishing from thirst. But the point that I'm here making is this. They were not out of food, were they? They were not out of food. They had flocks. They could drink the milk. They could eat the cheese and the meat of their livestock. But here they claim to be near death from hunger. Ingrates will exaggerate the goodness of the past or the goodness enjoyed by others afar off. And they will simultaneously exaggerate the badness of their current situation. This is what Israel did. Psalm 78 also helps us to see that this is what was going on. Psalm 78 comments on the Exodus event and on the wilderness wanderings. And it says, among other things, that Israel tested God in their hearts by demanding the food they craved. That is Psalm 78.18. Did you hear it? They were demanding the food that they craved. It's stated again in verse 29 of Psalm 78. And they ate and were filled, for He, God, gave them what they craved. In other words, Psalm 78 portrays Israel's grumbling as being about their wants, not their needs. And perhaps you have noticed that most of our grumbling is about wants, not needs. What are we to do concerning our needs, brothers and sisters? We are not to grumble and complain against the Lord, but in faith we are to pray to the Lord saying, Give us this day our daily bread. This is what we are to do as it pertains to our needs. We are to go to the Lord in prayer. We are to ask for our daily bread and we are to live in, in dependence upon Him for our needs. And what are we to do concerning our wants? Well, we are to pursue contentment in life. As we wait upon the Lord to give and to take away as He sees fit. We're to pursue contentment. We're to be content with daily bread. Is it the will of the Lord to give us an abundance? Perhaps it is. Is it the will of the Lord that we have only what we need? Perhaps it is. And as I've already said, the Christian life does have this, this ebb and flow to it. We will likely enjoy times of abundance. We will also experience times of want. And in the times of want, we are to pursue contentment as we wait patiently upon the Lord. Brothers and sisters, pursue contentment. As the Apostle Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. This godliness, godly living, combined with contentment in life, is great gain. It, it, is, a, 
It is a precious thing to have. And so we are to pursue it. And do not confuse contentment with complacency, brothers and sisters. It is right for the people of God to work hard and to seek to advance or to improve their situation in life. This applies to work, this applies to money, to housing, to things political and cultural. Pursuing contentment does not mean that we must be complacent and totally inactive. No, contentment is something that resides within the heart. To be content is to be grateful in the heart. To be content is to be satisfied in the heart. And it is the one who is content in the heart, who is in the best position to speak and to act for the betterment of his position in life, or for the betterment of society. Let me say that again. It is the one who is content in the heart, who is in the best position to speak and to act for the betterment of his position in life, or for the betterment of society. The one who is content in the heart before God will be filled with life and love, joy, hope, and peace. But the one who is discontent in the heart will be filled with dourness, with darkness, even depression. And I want for you to compare and contrast the two brothers and sisters and tell me which soul is better positioned to improve their station in life or to impact society in a better way. It should be clear to you that contentment does not mean complacency. To the contrary, those who maintain contentment in the heart are in a, in a position of strength to speak and to act for their own good and for the good of others. Not to mention the fact that a content heart, a heart filled with life and love, joy, hope and peace, glorifies God. For true contentment is rooted in Him and in our trust in Him. What I've just said about contentment can be applied to many things. But I think you can sense what I'm alluding to. The culture in which we live is rapidly changing. The politics of the day can be maddening. This plague of authoritarianism that seems to be sweeping the world is deeply concerning. But those in Christ must trust the Lord. We must pursue contentment even in these things. We must not grumble and complain but sojourn on in trustful dependence upon God for our daily bread. This is crucial, brothers and sisters. We must have joy. And joy, that is to say true joy, cannot be manufactured. It will only emanate from the heart that is full of faith and contentment in God. Philippians 4.12 came to mind. There Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. If you know the story of Paul's life, you understand what he means. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here is that very famous remark from Paul. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, isn't it? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is the context in which we find that, that remark? It is, it is about contentment, isn't it? It's about knowing how to, to abound, to thrive in times of plenty and in times of want. Paul says, I can do this. <laughs> I, I know the secret of, 
of thriving in the, in the midst of plenty and, and of want. And the secret, what is it? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. The, the, the secret to thriving in every season of life, in low times and in times of abounding, in plenty and in hunger, in abundance and need, the secret is having our roots sunk down deep into God and into the Christ that He has sent. He is to be our source of satisfaction and of strength. That is the, what the words, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, mean. So why did the Lord provide Israel with these game birds and this manna to eat? Why did He do it? They were complaining against Him. They're grumbling with Him. And they were not grumbling against Him as it pertained to needs but wants. We know that is true. Why did God give Israel these birds to eat and this manna? They were not truly starving, at least not yet. Again, it was their cravings, not their needs, that drove them to grumble against the Lord. So why did He bless them? Their birds were driven to them by strong wind only once, but the manna was provided for them continuously, day by day, for 40 years. What an awesome thing to consider. Why did He do this? Well, we know it was because the Lord is merciful and kind. Uh, This is the first thing that we must say. Israel was sinning against Him, but, but God showed Israel mercy, even in their sin. And I think also He sent them the birds and then the manna continuously, to, eat, to teach Israel and us to live in trustful dependence upon the Lord for their daily needs. I think God was sending Israel to school, as it were, with this manna that He provided for them. They were to trust in the Lord daily. Whenever Israel would go out to gather the manna, they would be reminded of the Lord's daily provision. In fact, a jar of this manna was to be kept by the priests as a kind of memorial to God's faithfulness for future generations. I think it is interesting to note that this provision of manna was designed by God to function as daily bread. Uh, What was it? We don't know for sure. The text says that it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Actually sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, This was not only uh, bread, but it was tasty bread. And... It may have been a natural substance, but clearly it functioned in a very supernatural way. The Lord provided it in great abundance. It was to be gathered daily. If too much was taken, it would rot and stink the next day. And it appeared daily, not for a week or two, but for 40 years. So it might have been a natural substance, but it functioned in a supernatural way. But here I am drawing your attention to the fact that the Lord designed the manna to function as daily bread. The Lord could have made the manna last a week or a month, but He willed that it last a day. So I'm saying that the purpose of the manna was not only to feed Israel, but to teach them about the faithfulness of the Lord and for them to live in daily dependence upon Him. What can we learn from Israel's experience? One thing is this. Christian sojourners must pursue contentment as they trust the Lord for their daily bread. The third principle that I wish to draw from our passage today is that Christian sojourners must rest in the Lord as they honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I said that the manna was daily bread. That is true, with the exception of the weekly Sabbath day. The Old Covenant people of God were to honor the Sabbath day on the seventh day of the week, which we call Saturday. According to this text, Israel was to gather a double portion of the manna on Friday so that they would have enough for Saturday. 
For on Saturday, no manna would be provided. Uh, So isn't this amazing? Manna is provided six days a week, but on the seventh day, the Old Covenant uh, Sabbath day, no manna would appear. The Lord is teaching Israel something in this, isn't He? According uh, to this text, if the people went out on the seventh day, they would find none. The, The seventh day for them was to be a day of rest. It was to be a day of worship. So then the Lord used the manna to feed Israel, to teach Israel to trust the Lord for daily bread, and to teach them also to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The manna was provided for them on days 1 through 6. On day 6, the Israelites were to gather a double portion, for on the seventh day no manna would be provided. This was the will of the Lord to to distribute this nutrients to them in this way. It was was a training program. That is what I am saying. It was a training program for Israel to daily depend upon the Lord. It was a training program for them concerning Sabbath keeping. He was teaching them in the wilderness how to keep this statute, this law of working six days and resting on the seventh. It is interesting to note that Israel was expected to keep the Sabbath day before the law was given on Sinai and before the Mosaic Covenant was ratified. They were expected to do this before they ever came to Mount Sinai, before the Ten Commandments were ever given to them as written upon stone. The Sabbath command, mind you, was given first not to Israel through Moses, but to Adam in the garden. Israel was to honor the Sabbath day before the law was given on Sinai, before the old Mosaic covenant was ratified, and before Israel took possession of the land. So yes, the weekly seventh-day Sabbath would play a very special role under the old Mosaic economy. Many other holy days would be added to the weekly Sabbath under Moses. But it is wrong to assume that the weekly Sabbath day was unique to Old Covenant Israel. It is especially wrong to conclude that it is not for us. In fact, Christ taught His disciples how to keep the Sabbath. He taught its true meaning. He changed the day when He rose from the grave. And the New Testament does explicitly say that there remains a Sabbath rest, or we might say a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. You may go to Hebrews 4.9 to see that. The Sabbath day was for them, and I am here saying to you, it is for us too, brothers and sisters. Christian sojourners must rest in the Lord as they honor the Lord's day Sabbath. Old Covenant Israel was to honor the Sabbath day as they sojourned in the wilderness, They were to cease from their labor. They were to rest and to worship. And new covenant Israel is to do the same as we sojourn. The day has changed for Christ in whom we rest now and for all eternity has lived, died, and rose again. The day has changed for good reason. But the pattern of six and one remains. Christian sojourners must honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This they must do not as a mindless ritual, but as a means of thoughtfully and faithfully resting in Christ and depending upon the Lord. The Sabbath day for Israel and for us is a day for physical rest. It is also a day for spiritual rest. It is a day for drawing near to God. It is a day for listening to His Word. It is a day for reorienting our lives around Him, for gathering with the faithful, for being reminded of the Lord's precious and very great promises, and of the work that Christ has accomplished for us. The Sabbath day is a holy day, uniquely suited for setting the mind and the heart on God, on Christ, and on our eternal inheritance in Him. And I'm saying to you that the Sabbath day is essential. 
Christian sojourners. Consider the narrative, brothers and sisters. God did not have to give Israel daily bread. He could have given them weekly or monthly bread, but He gave them daily bread to teach them to live in daily dependence upon Him. And He did not give it on the seventh day. And in this way, Israel learned how to live life according to this rhythm of six and one, six and one. It was essential for them as sojourners there in the wilderness. And I am saying to you that it is essential for us too to live according to this same pattern. Lord's Day Sabbath is to be observed by us. We are to work for six days and rest for one. And when we rest, we are to worship. We are to remember God's promises. We are to set our minds and hearts on Him and on the world to come. It is essential. You know, one thing that never ceases to amaze me is when Christians neglect the basic things that God has provided for them and then wonder why it is that they struggle in their sojourning. Are you following me? God has, God has told us to do basic things. He has given us His Word. Um, he has told us to rest and to worship one in seven. He has given us the Lord's Day Sabbath, and yet I see so many Christians neglecting these basic and ordinary means of grace and then wondering, why am I struggling so badly in the Christian life? I must need more. I, I, must, I must need something extraordinary. And as a pastor, I look upon situations like that and I said, keep it simple, saint, right? Slow down. Do what God has commanded us. Engage in these ordinary means of grace that the Lord has set before us. Engage in them not mindlessly, not in a ritualistic fashion, but thoughtfully and carefully and see if the Lord does not strengthen you there to sojourn well. I've already exhorted you in this way this morning, brothers and sisters, because it has been on my mind. But I would encourage you to engage in worship on the Lord's Day very thoughtfully. Come to worship in the morning. Come in the afternoon. Don't be so quick to leave after the benediction is read. Where are you off to anyways? What are you going to do? Probably engaging in things that belong to the other days of the week, I would guess. What's the rush? What is keeping you from worship in the morning and in the afternoon? Have you not prepared for the Lord's Day? Is there not six days of the week for work and for recreation, for chores, for birthday parties, for watching football, all of the rest? Those things are fine on all of the other days of the week, brothers and sisters. But why not honor this day as holy as the Lord has commanded? Why not come to worship? Why not come to be refreshed? I trust you will. More importantly, I trust that the Lord will be well pleased with us as we live in obedience to His Word. Stated a little differently, Christian sojourners must rest in the Lord, and one of the primary ways that we do this is through the observance of the Lord's Day Sabbath. It is a day of rest for the soul. You know, one thing that has been implied throughout this sermon, but not yet stated explicitly, is that Christian sojourners need Christ. We must be found in Him by faith, living for the glory of God and the furtherance of God's eternal kingdom through Him. We must see that He is the true bread of life and the true drink for which every soul longs. We must know that He is our eternal Sabbath rest. In the midst of these three points that have been put before you, uh, it must be acknowledged that all of this is found in Christ. He is the center. We must be found in Him. Christian sojourners 
need Christ. We must be found in Him by faith. We must abide in Him and cling to Him. I've told you that Christ is pictured everywhere in the events of the Exodus, and it is true. As Israel gathered and ate the physical manna, Christ, the bread of life, was portrayed to them. As they honored the Sabbath on the seventh day, they were to look forward to the coming of the Christ and the rest that He would earn. As Israel partook of these earthly blessings, they were simultaneously compelled to partake of the Christ that was portrayed to and promised to them by faith. And you and I are to do the same. As we sojourn in this world and experience the rhythms of the trials and refreshments of life, we are to cling to Christ by faith as we honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And as we partake of the manna and the drink which God has set before us in which the broken body and shed blood of Christ is signified, we must be found in Him, brothers and sisters. And we must be found content of Him. In this way we will give glory to our great God and King. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we continue to study this wonderful book and as we continue to uh, consider these uh, marvelous and powerful stories, I pray that you would help each and every one of us uh, to see ourselves as sojourners. Uh, Father, help us to know for certain that this is not our home. Help us to know for certain that we are journeying together in Christ towards the promised land. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us for this journey. I pray that you would move us to greater faith. I pray that you would work within us great contentment, hope, joy, and peace. God, I pray that you would be exalted in and through us as we live in this world. May we set our hearts, not on the things of this earth, but on you, God, and on the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. May we be found abiding in Christ always. Do this, O Lord, for our good. Do this, O Lord, for the glory of your name. And all of God's people say, Amen.